Uh, welcome to Restoration Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. Uh, thank you so much for coming, especially if you're new with us today. Uh, thank you so much. I see some familiar faces, which is kind of exciting, uh, that haven't been, maybe haven't been here before. If you are new to the church and if, you, if you're looking for somewhere to plug in, a church to plug in, I would encourage you, fill out one of these connect cards. We would love to uh, talk with you. We are, uh, we're all about, as my shirt says, as the back says, we, we believe that God is going to rebuild, raise up, repair, and restore our church and our individual lives and our community. And if you want to be a part of that, we, we would love for you to be a part of that. And uh, we, uh, uh, fill out one of these connect cards and we would love to connect with you this week and tell you about where you can plug in, how you can start growing in one of our connection groups, or uh, if you're interested in baptism, or just about learning about Jesus in general, uh, fill one of these out after the service. As well on the other side, sometimes uh, we kind of neglect this, but there is a place for you to put, if you need prayer for something, our leaders would love to pray for you. Uh, especially this week, because on Tuesday night, we have our restoration prayer night. Every month, the first Tuesday, actually this is the second Tuesday this month, but it's kind of the first. Because it was like the first or second. Anyway, this is like the first week, right? Um, but uh, on Tuesday night at Galt Collective, we have restoration prayer. It's a time when we come together as a church to corporately pray to God. And we do that because we are completely dependent upon God. We believe that we can do nothing in and of ourselves in order to see restoration happen in our church and in our community. And we completely depend upon the power of God to do that. And the way that we show that is through prayer. And so a church that doesn't pray doesn't depend upon God. And so, um, and so I think uh, there's been kind of a movement away from corporate prayer in churches, and we want to bring that back. We're bringing back the prayer meeting. And we've been doing this for the last, I don't know, five, six months or something like that. And, and it's one of the highlights of my month, so we would love to see you Tuesday night at 6.30 at Galt Collective. Check out your church. I feel so cool saying this. Check out your church app. We don't have the slide, I don't think. But you can look on your Play Store for, um, for, sorry, this is, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, that's, the, we have to fix this. I don't know what the problem. Um, check out our Church Center app. If you want to go in the Play Store, you can see Church Center. Make Restoration Church your home. You can see all the events. Thank you, Will. I don't know if you're going to be able to fix that. I think it's at the bottom. But um, you can uh, check out uh, all of the events or groups that we've got going on. Hold on. When this happens, everyone's looking at Willow. You're supposed to continue looking at me. She's supposed to be in the background doing this. That's okay. I, I, can, I can do it, Willow. That's fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'd love for you to be there. Uh, as well, like I said, we've got connection groups. And this is kind of where, when, when we're talking about joining a church, this is where I put my salesman hat on. My dad was a salesman his whole life and, and overpromise. This is when pastors do this. We overpromise and then we say, this is going to be the greatest ride of your life if you come and join our church. All of your problems are going to go away. We tend to overpromise or just flat out lie. Uh, which pastors shouldn't do, while well, not any, no one should actually do. But I was remi I'm reminded, though, when I'm thinking about even giving that plug, that salesman plug that sounds like a spam email more than anything, um, uh, I'm reminded this week, uh, a good friend of mine was telling me again about the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton. Is anyone, does anyone recognize the name Sir Ernest Shackleton? He was one of the first guys to attempt to reach the South Pole. Uh, and so he was, he was, uh, he tried to gather a team of people in order to reach the South Pole in the early 20th century. And he put this ad in the newspaper. This is not the typical church plug promo to join our, our church. This is his ad to join me in this expedition to reach the South Pole. Men want it. There were actually some women who applied for the job too. But it said men want it. And this is how he describes it. There's no pulling punches here. This is complete honesty about what the journey is going to be like. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful. He does say honor and recognition in case of success. So who's signing up for that one? Right? Anyone want to sign up to reach the South Pole? 
safe return, doubtless. You'll probably never see your family again. This is going to be the worst journey of your life. However, it worked because over 5,000 men did sign up to go to the South Pole with him. Uh, only 25 were selected. There were a few women uh, who signed up as well, but there were 25 men selected to head down to the South Pole with Sir Ernest Shackleton. I'll tell you the rest of what happens later. But it reminded me sometimes of, of how honest we need to be with what the Christian life actually looks like. And that living a Jesus-first lifestyle often looks more like this than the typical pastor that says, this is going to be the greatest ride of your life. Sometimes there's long, bitter, spiritual nights. Small wages. Safe return, doubtful. And this kind of came to light when uh, one of you actually pointed out to me uh, how deceiving we can even be as, as pastors and how we need to pr protect against this kind of communication. One, a megachurch pastor who is kind of known for what's called prosperity gospel um, put this out on Instagram and there's millions of followers who like it and who comment on it, you know, with the classic hands raised uh, emo, emo, emoji. Um, that's what they're called, right? But he, 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 his, his message was this, and, and it's subtle, but it, I think it can be deceiving. It's this. He says, God wants me to be three things. That's telling about God wants me to be powerfully favored, supernaturally gifted, and abundantly successful. Now, I think you can, he could probably talk that and, and, and explain what he means by that. However, I'm not sure if everyone gets even what he's trying to say. That the Christian life, a Jesus-first lifestyle, doesn't always feel abundantly successful. It often isn't doesn't give you everything you want. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite of that. Because I could come up in here, I could come up here on Sunday and say, God wants you to be powerfully favored, supernaturally gifted, and abundantly successful, and the crowd goes wild. But there's a concern that we draw people in, but offer a message that sounds honestly more like a spam email than the actual gospel. Today we're going to be talking about something that the Bible is full with, and it's called suffering. And I'm going to say this, and I want to be really careful when I say this, because this is quite a statement, but I think that in order to live a Jesus-first lifestyle, we have to embrace suffering, not avoid it. So with that being said, go with me to Colossians chapter 1. If you've got a little booklet, I think we got a couple, Griffin, hold up that little booklet. Griffin's got one of these little journal Bibles. If you don't have one, I don't know, I think there's a couple more out there. If you don't have one, just Pat, do we got a couple more out there? I don't think, yeah, we do. We got two. If you want one, raise your hand if you don't have one yet. If this is your, if you took one and you lost it and this is your second one, you cannot take one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, no, I'm kind of serious. Um, we only have a, we only got two left. So uh, if you want one, uh, f uh, slip your hand up. They're awesome. People have been using them to take notes. Um, so feel free to take notes and write all over them, and uh, that's what they're for. So follow with me as I read Colossians chapter 1. I'm gonna f we're going we're gonna to spend most of the time in the last part of Colossians 1, a little bit of time in chapter 2. So with that being said, why don't we stand together? I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Colossians 1, verse 24 says this. I'm going to read all the way down to chapter, just a little bit bigger passage, chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 24 says this, now, this is a crazy statement, now I rejoice in my sufferings, not in spite of my sufferings, in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which is another city, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged 
being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. There's a lot in here, and let me pray, and because I want to do this passage justice, and I want God to speak through this. Colin, can you actually pray for me and for us as we, as we learn of this passage? You may be seated. So we have been going through a series through the book of Colossians called But First, Not Coffee, But Jesus. Um, and Colossians is all about, as verse 18 says in chapter 1, that Christ might be preeminent in all things. And we have made the claim in the last month in September of, of, of Colossians talking about who Jesus is, that he's the image of the invisible God. He was meant to be, for creation to work, Jesus needs to be preeminent in all things, including your life in every area of your life. So that school, work, family, church, not just church, that Jesus might be preeminent in all things, in every orientation that you might find yourself with. That's what we've been focusing on for the first month in September and this passage is kind of the transition in Colossians. So you've got the, this is who Jesus is. And then the rest of the book is going to be, now how does that look like in someone's life? And there's going to be some positive things and some negative things. In a few weeks we're going to look at, there's some things, if you're living a Jesus first life, there's some things that you need to put on. Like this is the way that your life should look like. There's also, on the other side, not necessarily negative, but there's some things that you need to put off as well. A Jesus-first lifestyle does not look like this, and you need to put them out of your life. Okay, so this is who Jesus is. You're to, Jesus would be preeminent in your life, and then therefore this is what your life should actually look like. But this passage today is actually kind of the transition from that to that. It's where Paul, more than any other, more than any other section in this book, gets very personal. This is how this lifestyle that Jesus being preeminent in my life looks like for me. This is where I find myself now in my life that Jesus has changed me so much here I am. And he opens with this crazy statement in verse 24. I think it's on the screen because I have to meditate on this this week. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Crazy line. I'm not sure if I've ever said that or really meant it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. There's so much in this, and I'm going to unpack this, and I think this encapsulates the rest of what he's talking about. We're going to go through, because there's three movements through that that we're going to look at, but the first part, the most mind-blowing, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings, and if you look through the, the text that we are reading, you'll notice some other words that come to light, things like toil, for this I toil, struggling, and again, he uses the word struggling. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea. And it's important to remember that if you didn't know, if you weren't with us at the beginning, Paul writes this book sitting in a prison cell. And so what he's saying is that Living a Jesus first, I didn't live a Jesus first life, but now I've been radically changed by the gospel and now Jesus is preeminent in my life and guess where that has led me? To a prison cell where I'm suffering and in toil and struggling. That's where I find myself after Jesus being preeminent in my life. 
And I say this shaking as I reflect even for my own life. Just even before we dig into the actual nitty-gritty of the passage. A Jesus-first lifestyle embraces, not avoids suffering. And like I say, I say that kind of, like, do I really even believe that? A Jesus-first lifestyle embraces, not avoids suffering. And when Paul talks about suffering, it's, it's I rejoice in suffering. It's not in spite of suffering. It's not that uh, there's been some tough luck in my life. It's not that God is no longer blessing my ministry and so now I've been thrown in a prison cell and I don't get to see all of my friends that I so desperately want to see. No, this life has actually led him to a prison cell. And he says that, look at, Look at in verse 25 when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Then verse 25, it's not some tough luck or some random occurrence. In verse 25 it says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. It seems like the life that Paul is now living isn't some tough luck or not even blessed, but actually being led by God to the place that he is in right now. This is the plan of God for his life, for him to undergo this type of suffering that he is currently experiencing. A task that he was now stewarding from God's commissioning. And man, there are so many examples that I could think of, think of just even personally through, through the word of God, through church history. Uh, I've told you about this family, good, good friends of ours who uh, were commissioned by God to leave their comfortable life in Belleville and to be missionaries in the nation of Chad, where it's pretty much 100% Muslim population, to minister to the Muslim people there. And man, it is suffering. It's not the greatest ride that you are ever going to experience, it's suffering. And then their uh, oldest son developed some sort of eye, uh, eye disease. And, of course, in Chad, they didn't have the, 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 the medical um, uh, resources to be able to handle that. So they had to move back permanently to Canada because of the, the condition of their oldest son. But guess what? You wouldn't, you'd think for some of us, well, I can't do this anymore. It's, this is too much. I'm just going to go back to my lifestyle that I was currently, and I'm going to abandon the commission that God had given me, but no, they said, no, we've been commissioned to reach Muslims, so what they did was, they didn't go back to live their nice job and nice job and nice house in Belleville, they went into a low-income area of Montreal, where it's pretty much 100% Arabic Muslims, and ministering to people who are there. These are people my age, that understand that to live the calling that God has placed them in, they're going to have to undergo a lot of suffering. And we have to be really careful, those of us who are leading, especially the pastors, that we do not communicate a message that is deceive, that sounds good, but is really deceiving. A Jesus-first lifestyle embraces, not avoids suffering. And part of the encouragement that we can have in verse 29, when Paul says, for this I toil, struggling, that's like the word contending or at the games, I'm competing with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And the, the beautiful thing, and you could preach a message just on this, we don't have time to do that today. But that God would give them a spirit, supernatural energy from the Holy Spirit, not because they ate their Wheaties that morning, but because this was his task and the task that God has called them on, he would complete it through them and give them the energy and the resources in order to complete it. But you might say, well, Aaron, that's, you know, your friends who went to Chad or Paul, he's an apostle. That's for, that's for special Christians. You know, it's, it's the special Christians that have to undergo intense suffering to live a Jesus-first lifestyle. I mean, I'm not going to Chad this afternoon. I'm going to Sobeys to get my you know, lunch. That was a horrible example. I don't know where everyone's going to lunch. Go out to get Mexican for lunch. Actually, you can't. They're closed on Sundays. So wherever you're going for lunch, I'm not going to Chad. I'm going to the grocery store. That's for like special Christians. That's for apostles. And I hear what you're saying because Paul is addressing this himself. This is, this is the commission that God has sent me on and I've had to go through a lot of suffering. I'm sitting in a prison cell for it. However, there's a crazy part that could be really confusing. You've got to look at verse 24, the second half of it. Because he says this, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says this crazy line. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. 
for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's a crazy lie. It's actually been the cause of a lot of common, those of you who are in Bible school, you're probably digging into commentaries and things. There's always these things that commentarians argue about. Well, this is one of them. What does this actually mean? I know, I know for sure what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Christ's redemptive work on the cross is, not, is that it was lacking. I mean, all of Paul's writings, including in Colossians, he's telling them, he, he's a communicating that Christ's redemptive sacrifice to forgive the weight of your sins is more than enough. It's not lacking in any sort of way. And there's a couple of ways you could go with this, pass, this verse, but I think it's this. After not just because I thought of it, but after some stuff, I think it's this, even though it could be confusing, that we identify ourselves with Jesus through suffering. Through, our, through suffering, we identify ourselves with our suffering Savior. That actually, what's lacking, there's a part of your Christian life, there's a part of identifying with Jesus that if you avoid suffering at all costs, you're lacking in your Christian experience. It's like you haven't fully aligned yourself with Jesus if you refuse to suffer, if you're avoiding suffering at all costs. It remind, when I used to teach football, uh, there were a lot of guys, there'd be 50 guys who try out for the team. They'd all make it because you, whatever, they, they all make it. But most of them are going to sit. Um, but they're at practice and they're trying hard. But most of the guys who come in in grade nine when we used to, when I used to coach, most of the guys coming in, they loved putting on the gear. Uh, they loved doing the drills. But when it came time to actually be hit, they would flinch. Like, they had all the gear. It's like, this is not, I mean, it's going to hurt a little bit. But you're not, you're not going to get injured. Well, you might. But, <laughs> but, but it's like, they, were, they loved football but weren't fully aligned with being a player. Like, you're going to get hit, and it's going to hurt, and you might get injured. Like, you might limp off the field. But most guys could never get over that hump of standing there and taking someone running full speed at them. Like, they would flinch and get out of the way without standing their ground and trying to hit them back. Even though they got all the equipment they loved, they loved the fans cheering the games, which when I was in high school, that amounted to about three people, Nikki and two other girlfriends probably. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but they weren't fully aligned with the experience of football. I think it's the same way, that Jesus suffered for our sake, and when we refuse to suffer for his sake, we're actually not fully aligning ourselves with the experience of being a Christian. We're lacking in our life. And it's not just that we need to learn something, and that's all over the Bible. Like, you know, God will teach you something when, when, when you're in your lowest state, and that's so true. But I think when we suffer for the sake of Jesus, it's like we receive more of him. We understand him more. We can identify ourselves with him more. Paul, in another book in Philippians 3, which is just the book before, says this crazy line in Philippians 3, verse 10. It's on the screen, I think, I hope. Go to the next slide there. I hope it's there. Perfect. Philippians 3 verse 10 says this. Everyone's like, I want to know Christ. And even that mega church pastor that puts that, puts, puts that Instagram post out there, it's like, I want to know Christ. And I think all of us would say we want to know Christ. But then he says this, yes, this is what it means to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection. And we'd all say, amen. Let's get that resurrection power going in here to understand Christ. And then the next part we kind of whisper, participation in his sufferings? What? Like, to know Christ, we have to participate with him in his sufferings? Not only that, becoming like him in his death? That doesn't sound abundantly successful to me. I mean, it does in some way, I guess. And here's where I conclude it. So, your life is lacking when you avoid suffering at all costs. Which we have a problem here then. Because in, in North America, we avoid suffering at all costs. I know I do. In other parts of the world to say these things, it, it's just more like day-to-day -day life, suffering is a part of their life. We have been kind of born and bred to avoid all kinds of suffering. 
don't put yourself out there. Don't put yourself at risk because you're going to get hurt. And so we, even as Christians, we avoid suffering. And there's a couple of ways. There's a couple of ways, and there could be, there's probably a whole bunch. There's a couple of ways that, that I think this happens even in my own life that maybe gets your, gets your mind uh, uh, thinking. One of the ways that we avoid suffering, growing up in my family, this was so obvious. We ignore the elephant in the room. Like there's, an, there's a problem in the room, but no one wants to address the problem because no one wants to be the one to actually suffer for it. No one wants to be the one to step up and say, okay, we've got a problem here. And I'm calling all of us out on it, including myself. No one wants to be that guy. So what my family does is we just turn on the football game, right? They just avoid it at all costs and hope that it goes away because no one wants to be the one to stand up and address it. Another one is I think we distance ourselves from each other. No one wants to name the suffering that they're going through because it makes you seem lesser than. Like everyone's got to have this all together. And if I'm going through suffering, then I'm, I'm lesser than other people that aren't. And so we distance ourselves from people, and that can work the other way, where it's like, I don't want to get into the mess of someone else's life because I'm going to suffer for it. And I wish I could say you won't, but you will suffer for it. It's not bad, though. Thirdly, and like I said, kind of along the same line as the Ottaway family, we in North America drown ourselves with entertainment. Just turn on the TV, pick up your phone, ignore what's going on. Drown yourself out in entertainment. I'm going to address the men later on, but I think men are actually more susceptible to this than the women in that we go, maybe Nikki's, like maybe, maybe I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't say broad strokes like that when I have no idea. But, uh, what can happen, though, is we go to work, we come home, we let, we let wife take care of the kids, we turn on the TV and drown everything out. We don't want to suffer, even parenting. Let the wife handle the kids. Trust me, there's some days when I get home after a hard day's work and I can hear what's going on inside the house. And it's like, I don't even want to open this door. I'm just going to turn around and go back because it's easier at my office. We avoid suffering at all costs, though. Here's what I want us to do. We don't do this in church much. Take two minutes. Maybe your brain has been thinking. Turn to the people around you and just, you don't have to do this, by the way. Maybe you're just a listening ear. How do you avoid suffering? How does it affect your life? Take two minutes right now. This is weird for us to do. Get personal. How do you avoid suffering in your life? You don't have to do this, but take two minutes. We don't have the music for Jeopardy, okay? But for two minutes, discuss that with the people around you. How do you avoid suffering, and what are you missing out on in your life? It's weird, but do it. Someone's got to be the first one to address the elephant in the room. Turn to the people around you. How do you av typically avoid suffering? You have two minutes to do this before I continue. Okay, now that we have all suffered through that, it's supposed to be more laughs than that. From, I was telling some of our leaders, from, from Temple where I used to be, they're a lot, e you get easier laughs. And they're just, e 
You guys need to laugh more, okay? <laughs> Fake laughs are worse than no laughs, by the way. <laughs> Pity laughs are a lot worse. However, when you hear a cricket and there's silence after a joke, it, it's, you know. Um, so we avoid suffering. But I want to transition here because um, what, what I don't want to present today is that we just glorify suffering. Like, we, we look for pain. And so in order to experience the work of Jesus in my life, I'm looking for pain. Uh, I'm going to put myself at unnecessary risk and just, you know, bring it on. All of the suffering, bring it on my life. I don't want to glorify suffering because suffering is not the point. Because Paul says this in the passage. You go to the next slide there, uh, Erica. Paul says this in that, in that statement. He says, uh, uh, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. And then actually it's what should be underlined is for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So it's not just that he's glorifying suffering, just the experience of suffering aligns you with Jesus, but he's suffering for a reason. It's for the sake of the church. It's not just a, an awesome example, like a, a movie script of someone undergoing pain and suffering. We're like, wow, that's amazing. This is, he's suffering for the church, for the sake of the church, as it says in verse 25, even those, as it says in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, even those he hasn't even met, he says, I struggle, I toil for you. And this is why he suffers. Look what it says in the second part of verse 25. Uh, I'll just read verse 25. It says, which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to you. This is why he suffers, to make the word of God fully known. And then in verse 26, the mystery that, 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 that what is fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. And I just need to take a second to explain, because that word mystery isn't actually that mysterious. It's not, do you remember those, mov- do you remember those movies? What were, the, what were the movies where they have to like decipher the Declaration of Independence and there's like, National Treasure! Those were stupid movies. But uh, they go through the, the, the desk of the president and all of a sudden they press a, like, what's a 200-year-old desk and they press a button and something flies out and they're like, whoa, another document. Um, anyway, it's not that mysterious. The, the word mystery here means, and he repeats it again later on, the word mystery is something that was hidden that has now been revealed and it takes its root actually from, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, the story of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It's in plain view. He can describe the dream, but no one has any idea what it's supposed to mean. And then Daniel is the one who comes in and interprets the dream. Okay, if you don't know, that's what happens. He reveals, it's the same kind of, root of this word, he reveals the mystery that no one else could figure out what it was supposed to mean. And now Paul is saying, I struggle, I do all these things in order to reveal, kind of like Daniel, the mystery that no one seems to know but is in plain view of everyone. Jewish seers actually thought back in the Old Testament that God had these secret plans that he would, these secret elaborate plans that he would reveal in the last day. But as we know from the New Testament, from Paul even here today, that God's mystery is not fulfilled, is not revealed in some secret elaborate plan, but in a person, and as in verse 27, he reveals the he reveals what the mystery is. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul is saying, I'm suffering. I'm willing to go to any lengths to communicate for people to understand that having an identity rooted in Jesus, having Jesus as preeminent in your life is the revelation of this mystery that people have been wondering about for thousands of years. This is what life is supposed to be about. It's so people get it. Christ in you, the riches of his mystery. And we do the same thing, that we would make the word of God fully known to the people that we are in communication with. I don't know about you, but you might be frustrated when people just, and this word really means something, when people just don't get it. You know, it might be in plain view before them. You might be, you know, reading the scripture to them, but it's still a mystery to them until God opens their eyes. Like, it's like, it's, it just hasn't been revealed. It's like, 
What else do I need to say for you to get this? Christ in you, the riches of his glory. This, this. And some of you might be sitting here today, you might, you might have heard millions of sermons, and you still honestly don't get it. It's still a mystery to you. It reminded me, as this is, what I, this is what I watch at home. I was watching a YouTube series about a bird watcher who grew up in the Bronx and who bird watches in Central Park. And what he saw was, um, he saw, he saw, uh, and it was, I thought of this passage because I was watching it this week. He saw a peregrine falcon fly over his head and he's standing there with his friend. And these are cool guys as far as bird watching goes. But he saw a peregrine falcon fly just over his head. If you know peregrine, they f- they're the fastest living creatures. on. They, they, they're the fastest bird in the world. And it's zoom right over his head. And he said to him, it's like, and people are just walking. No one cares. Except for him because he, love, he loves bird watching. And he's, he said, on, he said on, the, uh, on, his, on his little show, he says, he's like, I don't understand how people just don't love that. Because no one else cared other than the bird watchers. And there is a frustration when it's like, I don't understand when we open up God's word, when we pray together, it's like, I don't understand how people just don't love this. It's like they haven't got it yet. They might call themselves Christians, they might come to church, but they just haven't got it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And for Paul, he was willing to do anything for people to get it. I got to read this verse because this verse is awesome and I can't do it justice. Verse 28 says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. See, for Paul, it wasn't just his commission. It's not, this is not just what I'm doing, but him, we, this, you as well. We proclaim Jesus, warning people, teaching every person. There's that re- repetition of every, every person, warning every person, teaching every person, that we may present every person mature in Christ. I'm really thankful that even at our, in our small church plant, for me, the, the pastor, there are people in our church There are men in our church who are warning me and teaching me in order to present me mature in Christ. I'm really thankful for that. I need that. Not just new converts. Like, pastors need that. I need to be warned every week and taught every week that I might be presented every week mature in Christ. I'm so thankful for the, for the leaders in our, our church, not even just the leaders, but those who are discipling their children and warning their children and teaching their children. Willing to do anything for someone to get it. Nikki and I were watching a movie this week, La La Land, if you've ever seen La La Land. Mia says these words, and it hit, really hit home for me. Mia says these words to the lead, Emma Stone. Mia says these words in the, in, the, in the movie. She says this, I hate jazz to a guy who loves jazz. And I could relate to that because there was a time where I'm like, this is just elevator music, right? This is just what you put on at a party. But I had a friend, John, who sometimes comes and plays cello, who loves jazz, who loves the soul and heart of jazz music. And he took five years with me to get me to love jazz music. For me, it was just elevator music. Now, Nikki knows the whole, I play, that's all we listen to is jazz music. Because every time he would see me, he'd like, okay, you gotta, you gotta listen to this song. You gotta listen to this new artist, man. And then he'd, he'd like, listen to these next two minutes, see how this sax player or this pianist like takes this next. And you start to understand it. It opens up the world of, of and the soul of jazz music. And if someone says to me, I hate jazz, now I'm him being like, are you kidding me? You got to get off the Katy Perry and listen to some real music, you know? <laughs> for Paul, he was willing to suffer and do anything, even go to prison for people to get it. To put himself out there, to minister to people, warning and teaching and proclaiming Jesus for people to get it. Sam Storms in his book, The Hope of Glory, which if you're looking for how do I dive deeper into the book of Colossians, that's the book you get, The Hope of Glory by Sam Storms. 
He says this, unfortunately, we are told by, by, by God in verse 28 to proclaim Jesus, to warn people, to teach people in order to present people as mature. However, that somehow translates into most of our churches like this, and this is a little bit damning to us. He says this, him we mention only in passing, lest we offend seekers or sound excessively religious. Rather than warning and teaching, we seek to please and entertain everyone so that they might feel good about themselves and be reassured that all is well in the world. Somehow we read verse 28 and translate it as that in our lives. Guys, we have to suffer for every person to get it. What about you is willing to suffer? And I kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, One cultural movement that's happening right now it's the women who are, have been willing to suffer more than the men in churches and families. I think all, most of us could be like, yeah, that, not in every family, not in every church, mind you. However, culturally, the women have been more willing to suffer than the men. And now, and I applaud the women, we've got most families and most churches that are led spiritually by women. And I applaud them for that. However, on the other side, I think men, we have to come face to face with the reality, myself included, that we've taken a back seat and watched the women take the hits for us. With our children, with our churches, it's been women who have had to take the hits, not the men. Guys, I think we have to take really seriously men Listen up, in verse, in verse 20, we have to say, really, are we willing to suffer for every person, warning every person, teaching every person, those of us with children, the, the, all of us in our church, with the children in our church, but the people even around you, are you willing to suffer for them? Guys, we have a connection group led by Colin that you need to be a part of. I've been a part of guys' groups before, and there's no better way to grow spiritually to warn each other, to teach each other, to present each other as mature in Christ than being a part of a group of guys who are willing to do that, who are not just going to, you know, go out for, go out for beers and, and, and be guys, but are going to open up God's word and pray and speak into each other's lives. On Wednesday nights, Colin's got a group. Guys, you need to be there. That's all I'm going to say for now. You need to be there. Finally, I want to end with this. Because if we're not willing to suffer, perfect, thank you, Erica. If we're not willing to suffer, we're missing out on probably the craziest part, which Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What a weird thing to say. Like, either this guy is preaching the gospel or he's, or he's like, off his rocker, right? I rejoice in my sufferings. Not in spite of my sufferings. I actually rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Definitely for the sake of Christ, for sure. But I think specifically in this passage, there is a joy that Paul, that Paul has in what we've been talking about and seeing people get it. Look what it says in verse 5. He says, in the end part, he says, rejoicing as he says to Colossians, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Guys, there is something. When you put yourself out there, when you disciple, when you are leading people toward the goal of what I'm going to talk about in a second, maturity, there is joy in seeing people get there and leading people to that place. I think that's what Paul is talking about here. Because you might ask, what is the goal of our discipleship? What's the point of all this? When I'm, when I'm seeking to influence someone, what is the goal in all of this? Where am I bringing people to? In verse 28, it says that we present every person mature. And that word is teleos. And in this context, it's a, what I believe, a complete orientation around Christ. A complete orientation. It doesn't mean that now you say all the right words at dinner and you know, you have the right mannerisms so that you're mature, that you have a complete orientation around and toward 
Christ. I think he further, further defines it in, the, in verse 2. says, To you that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and then this is what, matru- and I think this, he defines maturity, to reach all the riches, in, in verse 2, of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, I think maturity is to have full assurance of your faith in Jesus and not be like, floating around in a wavy sea, grabbing onto it, like I'm here and then I'm not. Because he further defines it in verse 5, for though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see, and he says two things, and this is not, pardon the vernacular, this is not like sexy or impressive, to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. That's maturity. That's where we're leading people. Stability, firmness, is maturity. It's not being able to belt out Hosanna as loud as you possibly can. Not being able to rip off an awesome guitar solo at church, although Peter does a great job of that. Maturity is stability in your faith. When we were in North Carolina, we went, I'm gonna, I, just, I do this so I can sound cool. We went surfing, Okay. <laughs> Now he's the cool pastor who goes surfing. My pastor goes surfing. He's so cool. Um, but there's waves, and there's, so, so, there's some days waves where it's windy and it's choppy, and there's, you can't, because there's waves going everywhere. You know, they're pushing you everywhere. All of a sudden it's shallow, and then it's deep. You're in a riptide all over the place. And that's kind of the, the, the cultural view we get the Bible gives, that there's, you, we're, we're out in sea and being shifted from one to the other and all over the place. Guys, Maturity, as Paul defines it, he's, uh, that's what he says, that, that no one will delude you with plausible arguments, and we're going to talk about more about that next week. But it's being able to withstand all of the shifting sands and shifting waves and, and being firm in Jesus. Like I say, it's not sexy, it's not impressive, but parents, pastors, teachers, this is the goal, that someone would be stable in their faith and would stop shifting from one trend to the other but would be all about Jesus. There's some of you in this room that I've had the privilege and joy of seeing go from kind of being like, even in my own life, being like up and down all over the place, like where are they? And now they're, to being stable in their faith. Good order in their life. And even though it's not impressive, I think Jesus looks down at a church and sees a church that's simply living a godly lives and commitment to him and smiles at that church. And I think there is such joy in seeing people that we have led remain steadfast through the thick and the thin, bringing people all the way to the goal, and we struggle and fight and suffer to see it happen. Ernest Shackleton, who gave that uh, newspaper clipping ad for Men Wanted, there's 25 men who came, and they, they tried to make it to the South Pole, didn't even come close. Ice enveloped that old ship that they were in until it completely froze around the ship, and the ice froze so much that it actually just buckled the ship and crushed it. And they found themselves 300 miles from the shore on an ice floe. 25 guys, just whatever they had on ship. Ernest Shackleton had to make a choice. Either we just, every man for himself, avoid, like, I'm just looking out for myself. However, Ernest Shackleton said, you know what, I'm abandoning my goal of reaching the South Pole. My goal now is so that every, I can present every person back to their parents. Because he had a bunch of young guys with him. Every person back to their wives and their children. Ernest Shackleton led 25 guys 300 miles across an ice floe eventually to get to a deserted island called Elephant Island and they had traversed up mountains to get to the other side only to ride a raft another 200 miles to the next nearest island where there was an outpost finally where they could receive food. Most of the team had hypothermia but all 25 guys survived because Ernest Shackleton was willing to suffer almost to the point of death in order to present them to their families. 
what are we willing to do to present people to God as mature? What are you willing to suffer for? Are you willing to embrace the journey or are you going to avoid it? Guys, there is worthy suffering. Don't miss it. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you that you suffered and died for me. That you are our suffering Savior. Willing to experience pain and hardship and adversity to die on a cross for me, to lead me to forgiveness and reconciliation. to be resurrected from the dead so that I would have victory over sin. God, I pray that we as a church would be willing to suffer as you suffered for us. Lord, that we would say like Paul, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, for our sake. Lord, we have such a hard time embracing that. That's so countercultural to what we have been born and bred with. God, I pray that if there are some in this room who are holding back, it, 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 maybe, maybe they're Christians and they're like, this is too hard, I don't wanna, I don't wanna keep going. Or they're holding back from, from, from even speaking out about some, something that they're going through. It's, it's too hard, I don't even wanna speak about this. Lord, I pray that today would be a, a day where they, they em, em, embrace the journey that you've put them on and not hide it. Lord, maybe there's some in this room who have felt the call of the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say like that megachurch pastor said that I'm gonna, this is going to be a ride. This is going to be everything that you've wanted it to be. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross. you got to leave everything behind and embrace a whole new lifestyle. And along with that, you're going to suffer a lot. But I suffer for you. I've already led you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for some in our church. Pray that they would leave their life behind and follow a completely radical, revolutionary, new life, a way of suffering, yes, but the way of the Savior. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It's challenging to my heart, and I pray that, uh, that you would change our hearts right now. So we pray for all these things in your name. Amen.